this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. Great to be here. January 2024. We are going to be talking a little bit today about... Everything? All, <laughs> sort of all <laughs> kinds of stuff in that basically the behind the curtain on this show is that you and I got talking about what we're seeing, mm. you know, coming down the pike for... Um, really the year writ large in publishing and well, all these different things. Well, really and- what happened is we were talking about this episode and Eric, you said, I am feeling a lot of dread <laughs> and I want to figure out a way to put that into this podcast. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to dissect Eric's dread. Yeah. And we're going to dissect in it a in fun a, way. Yeah, no, in a fun <laughs> dread, but make it fashion. Um, <laughs> It's going to be, uh, no, it's going to be good. And it's not all pessimism. It's not all dread. It's mostly just a feeling that things are about to happen and yes. things are coming to a head. We don't like way. for things to happen. Yeah, um, I don't, I hate when stuff happens. <laughs> I'm the guy who would like to simply drink my tea and go to bed at 830 every night. When stuff <laughs> happens and I have to do stuff, that's, it's not good for me. I don't love it. Um, so I don't know. Let's just get into it, Laura. Like, my question to you is, here we are, yes. other side of the new year. We've yes. emerged from the, frankly, interminable holidays. Yep. We've gotten to the other side People of are stuff. back at work and People sending me emails. People are going to work. Like, good Lord, am I happy to be back at my desk in the way that we now are, truly. Uh, the disruptions and everything, my God. Um, we're back. We're looking at stuff. What are we seeing? Like, talk to me about what you're working on. Dread? Um, no. <laughs> Yeah. I so one of the things that is top of mind this week, and a lot of you beautiful listeners have sent us emails over the past couple of months asking us to do an episode on this. So I think it's a great place to start. Um everybody and their mother in the creative field, but you know, in our little corner of publishing, is worried about AI, yeah. artificial intelligence, which is a misnomer. Really, we're talking about machine learning. It would be really hard yeah. to talk about 2024 without talking about yeah. AI. It's probably the headline thing. And I would say that as agents, that is be it is one of our main concerns right now. Well, we're, it's absolutely it is because it seems to me like like do you remember? And this isn't this isn't the same thing, but the one time. One comparable situation that this reminds me of is when audiobooks started really mm-hmm. booming and you and I were suddenly we suddenly made the observation that like, oh, wait, this isn't a this isn't a subride anymore. This is now like a this is Primary very rapidly right. becoming a central focus. Our contracts need to really focus on this a lot more. All these things like we had to sort of rapidly adjust our thinking about this one topic. And suddenly it was like forcing itself into this area of priority mm-hmm. with regard to how we were selling projects. That's the one other time I can think of that feels just mechanically comparable to what feels like is happening right now with AI and contracts and in just the landscaper at large, you know? Yeah. So let's, I guess, let's dig into it. If you are somebody um, who who, like isn't involved in a lot of uh, rights work about, about art, there's, there's a lot of elements to this because machine learning and and um, generative AI is being used in a lot of ways. I think the the flashiest are like the chat GPTs yep. and the um, various like image, image. creations. Um, and I think that's that's probably a really good place to start because the it 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 really informs how publishing is seeing this and using this. So the the first concern, I don't want to say it's the main concern, but the first concern about AI, you know, machine machine learning is that it requires an obscene amount of data to generate anything that gives you anything interesting. Yeah. Um, and I guess the the very first question when somebody is dipping their toes into AI is, well, where 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 did that data come from? That is the big question <laughs> to me. It's not the, as you, as you say, it's not the only question. Where did the data come from to make the tool? And that is, 
Yeah. And and the and in 2024 we are very we are starting to see the beginnings of um people fighting back on this because the answer is it's stolen. Like there have been books that have been pirated, art that has been posted on social media, online, on artist websites and has been um basically crawled for grabbed and used to build a machine so even it so like that is idea number one that like Mm -hmm. as people as agents as people who work in the arts as people who spend a lot of our lives thinking really hard about how to protect the rights and get money Mm -hmm. for the people making the art um that their that their work can be stolen and not compensated for and then used to create something like what they make um is really shitty and that this strikes me as such a it's such a perfect tech issue or such a quintessential tech yeah. issue in that basically what we have here is a new in like a new thing right like a new I guess what you would call usage of people's work that mm-hmm. we haven't seen before, right? Like the idea that a book of yours or a piece of something you own the copyright to might then get fed into a machine that might make something of it or use it in other ways. That like, somebody then can type in like write this book in the style of this person. <laughs> that hasn't been that hasn't been a concern before now. So of course there's not like a ton of legal precedent and contracts and stuff on it. And to me this is just what, like, if you ask me, Eric, why do you hate Silicon Valley? Why do you hate <laughs> tech people? Not tech people, excuse me, but just like the tech world and like this stuff that comes from this and why I'm always so suspicious of it. It's because this is just the dynamic over and over and over again, which is like, come up with something that the letter of the law doesn't have an answer for exactly yet and do a bunch of stuff that's incredibly destructive. And you know, in, your actual, you know, if you put two seconds of critical thinking to it, you know, is like effectively stealing or using something you don't have the rights for. But because there's not specific language for it, you can get away with it for long enough until someone says, hey, wait a second, stop it. But by then you've already set a bunch of precedents of your own and you've already dug your, yeah. you know, like it's just it's scummy. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's crappy. And so, yeah, now you're, you're right that we, we're up against this idea now that. People's books and other writing and art and all this stuff is getting fed into these programs that and this this is what I think is crucial because that that in and of itself is a rights violation, right? Mm-hmm. Like using someone's work in a way that you do not have the rights to use it is is not acceptable. But then there's like the second part, which is okay. Why and you you got you hinted at it a second ago it's like why are they feeding it into the machine it's because then they want to turn around and have that you know machine learning program produce work that is comparable or similar to that itself without needing to even go to a writer a career writer so it becomes this way of not so you're taking from writers and then you're turning around and using what you've taken to eliminate further opportunities from like you, you see what I'm saying? Like it's it's a it's a way to get around that pesky part of the publishing process, the author. And you and I have talked. How many times have we talked on this show since its beginning about how <laughs> publishing's the biggest inconvenience to publishers is the author? <laughs> like if they could if they could like figure out a way to like do all these books without having to have these pesky people they have to like be good to and do author management for and like pay royalties to they would absolutely do it and hey they think they found a way you know what i mean like here's their chance to finally get rid of the and it's just it's it needs to be stepped against if, it has to be yeah if we're like digging digging deep down into the nuances of why AI is like a big deal right now. The top is how are these machines made? It's a copyright violation. And of course, like as, as already discussed, like um, there are like generative AI companies that are now calling at the very beginning. They're like, no, 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 this, all of this falls in fair use. Like this isn't copyright infringement, et cetera. Now God, they, now, use as now, a term. So now they are, now they are saying, no, 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 we need a copyright exemption. Cause otherwise this, this, 
material would not exist. Like this machine wouldn't exist if we don't have a copyright. That's extension. interesting. That's interesting that your product only works when you right. steal shit. So going going deeper into that, then there is this. In addition to the anxiety of published authors being worried about their material being stolen. Um, or artists or any sort of creative um, go, going a step deeper is this AI is going to take away my opportunities because it's going to generate something. And the thing is, is like um, AI generated items like cannot be copyrighted in the same way as like a human being made Mm -hmm. them um and there's this concern that like people are going to stop reading books written by people and they're only going to read like ai stuff um and on one hand i feel like that's a little bit of a of an exaggeration because like why would i want to spend the time to read a book that somebody didn't spend the time to write i think that is a dramatic miscalculation on their part yeah yeah but but the idea is like we've already been seeing in in particularly like the indie book marketplace like you see this a lot um on on amazon where like in the where they have so much junk on the book pages of Amazon. Like there's so so much like junk books, stolen books, etc. Like I I am seeing a world where like the the entrepreneurs who never read a book ever are like, "No, no, no, I'm going to like make books and like in, reinvent romance because it's always fucking romance. It is it's always, always romance, romance it where ro- somebody's Somebody's like, oh, these are easy. I'll I'll totally write one and make a ton of money. Or rather, and this is this is a thesis from a past episode of ours. It's always romance first. It's always romance the, first. The romance world is where people get up to stuff that they then yeah. will hope to apply elsewhere. So you see, like that's gonna happen where it's yeah. just gonna like completely glut yeah. all of these spaces. Yeah. And it's gonna like I'm I'm less worried that a lot of these books are going to become like breakout hits. And I'm more worried that it's going to be harder for readers to directly find the books that they want to read. Have you been on Amazon lately? No. It's horrible. Is like, it? You, you go on the, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like just as a pure, and I always end up there for comp titles, mm-hmm. right? Because it's, it's sort of a self-reinforcing loop, but like, you know, people do their book shopping on Amazon. So a great way to find comps is, to go to Amazon and ostensibly try to find a book like the one you're comping to so that yeah. you can see what people are seeing when they search. And it's a like the hellscape. It's a horrible website. It's like you can't use it. It's filled as you said, it's filled with junk. Every other result is like barely even a book, right? Like, I mean, it's just like these it's hard to even describe it without looking at it, but like the ability to just like find information and books on Amazon. It feels like it deteriorates every week. Like it's yeah. just getting way worse. And as you're saying, this, this is going you, <laughs> in the way that and this isn't the topic of the show or our podcast, but like in the same way you can sense the internet just getting worse in every single yeah. way. Everywhere you go, it's just cluttered and crappy and bloated and all this stuff. That's definitely happening on like our book searches too. You know and. This is part of why it's because the search results are getting are now getting populated with like real just, books. Just like <laughs> yeah, it, it's just you can't. Man, it's yeah, it's brutal out there, and it and, takes forever. If you follow any sort of like indie authors or just like kind of any authors in general who um, are do a lot of their sales via like either like social media or something where people end up on Amazon a lot. Um, or like people over on Goodreads who then go to Amazon because they're owned by the they're you know Goodreads is owned by Amazon. You see a lot of um, like fraudulent book listings. Yeah. For yeah. it, you know, and people get the book, and it's like it's like the it's like the version of when you used to buy a DVD. Yep. And it was like somebody holding a camcorder in a movie theater. <laughs> like it's yeah. like that. Um, and that is all over, especially because print on demand, which is a great thing, is so accessible for people. Yeah. But like we're we are seeing that and like, you know, big five publishing, you know, traditional publishing is very much like a cruise liner and not a speedboat. And so they have not yet it's the Titanic, been able. Yes. It's the Titanic. <laughs> well, maybe it's like the Queen Mary, okay. the QE2. Okay. It's the QE2. 
Um, it's the we've Edmund reached... Fitzgerald. No, <laughs> um, it is not the Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh, we've reached the end. Of, I know three boats. Those are the boats I was that I know. Say, I was going to say, please don't ask me to name another boat. I was like, I don't know any other what, boats. What was the one that was stuck in the Suez Canal? Oh yeah. I don't remember. Was that the, name the Endeavor? Of it. I don't yeah, know. Who I don't cares? Know. Anyway, we've reached the end of my knowledge about boats. Yeah. But um, yeah. the like it's like the QE2 where where essentially like all of these problems are happening and big publishing is like, oh no, we have like the we have the reps, we have the direct line to all of these retailers. Yeah. And it's like a problem and it's not a problem until it is. And at that point it's like so bad for the rest of publishing um that it's really hard to combat. Which kind of like brings us to the the deeper part of the AI considerations and the ones that um, are really concerning to me and to other publishing workers, which is, okay, if we are all agreeing that, or we're all kind of betting on the fact that the generative AI making art in turn like for books because books is so much more data than like a drawing does mm-hmm. um th- it's a nightmare for art for for visual art but like for books like that is so much data that i think it's going to be less of a problem for sure. us but if we are looking into that then we go okay then what might if if like silicon valley were thinking about um creating tools that would actually like help people do their jobs instead of like Take, take art instead in. of take art. Right. How might publishing think, oh, no, no, we're going to use AI in fun and interesting and useful ways that will make it easier for people to do their jobs. Well, buddy, do I have information for you? Um, there all of a sudden <laughs> has been a cropping up of peep translators being offered like, mm, dollars an hour to translate things that then is being used to train an AI that can do book translations. Yeah. Um, there are develop they are developing audio book narrators generated with AI, which is you see a lot of that on like Instagram and TikTok uh-huh. and sort of uh-huh. and that's like being turned into I'm starting to have to specify that if I am granting audio rights, which again, primary right, I'm having to say it needs to be a human. That does the audio, Um, which is I never thought I would have to do that. You're seeing that? It's got to be a human. So that's an interesting, that's what I want to stop on for a second because that's something I've done in some contracts too where it's like you really, like we've specified, hey, we want a human working on the cover of this book. We want a human, like. Making the art for the cover. Exactly. Like we want these things, you know, to be done by people and not by a program and it just it does it does on some level make me sad because as you say like the in a vacuum advancing technology is theoretically a good thing yeah. it could be used to make our lives better and get rid of the busy te- tedious like crappy work we all hate doing yeah. like i'm sure like how many if you're an editorial assistant or any sort of assistant level person in publishing there's definitely like three or four tasks in your job that you hate doing. That but do you, you know would... what that is? That's inputting like information. Yeah. That's not like that. Or input, inputting information about like prices and yeah. and um, and yeah. and doing all of that. What is not perhaps the most useful thing is something that is that we are seeing right now. So I just did. Um, I've been spending early this week um, doing a contract. With Macmillan. And Macmillan is one of the first big five publishers that has AI clauses that they recently added. Okay. Um, and one of the really key things that they're saying, we will not be using this book to ma- build an AI or train an AI or submitting it or anything that will make, that will be able to make art substantially similar to this. But what we do want to be able to use it for is for things like marketing, sales data, um, kind of all of these things that like humans do at their at their publisher. Um, yeah. Compare that with information that we just got from the um, XOXO publishing account on Instagram internally uh, saying for- HarperCollins has an internal AI that they are not that they are feeding books into 
and they are not telling their authors and they are using that to come up with like discussion questions and book copy. And we should be clear, we should be clear real quick that, you know, accounts like XOXO publishing, I mean, these are effectively, you know, they're sort of unsourced gossip accounts, right? Yeah. It's not like we are reporting something. We're just going off of the murmurings but hearing the that and then doing a contract yeah, no. that is saying we're going to use ai Absolutely. internally no, I'm to not do saying these things. It's, i'm not saying it's bogus or anything i'm just saying like it's not as though you and i are a news outlet saying <laughs> like we're just going off of the same stuff everyone else sees you know but, and so but it, yeah so on its face i'm like great use ai for sales data and like marketing trends sure that seems like a good use of that that is not like taking away the artistic merits of something However, when you think about it, um, these are tasks that the lowest paid people in editorial are asked to do. Write the discussion questions, write the cover copy. And to be clear, like cover copy for a book is is a main marketing tool for this project. And now we are like outsourcing it to a machine and it's really hard to look at that and not go now they're going to lay more people off because they think that they like have machines that will do this better so that's that's where i was trying to get a second ago which is that rather than using technology like this to make an assistant's life better and maybe free them up to do Mm -hmm. more creative or sophisticated work or give them an opportunity to engage at different areas of the publishing process that they currently don't have time for like all these different things that could really make these jobs better instead it's good we just know what it's going to do they're (laughs) what they're trying to use it as a way to consolidate labor to discipline labor i mean we see this all the time it's like the anytime like technology like this and the threat of automation is always used as like a cliff to dangle as leverage to dangle like well, we can't pay you more because, you know, if we have to, we'll yeah. just do it this way. It's more cost effective if we just do the A. You know, like it's it's a means of disciplining labor in a way. Just even the threat of it is effective for, you know, the management class in this situation. And so, like, it's like let alone the usage and implementation themselves, just the existence of this thing that might be looming and might mean that, oh, you know, it might make you more gun shy to ask for more. It might make you, it might make it harder to unionize. It might make it mm-hmm. harder to do these things. But it's like, man, that's just so bleak and frustrating to me because, again, like, honest to God, I don't hate, like, when I see that there's like this technology that can do these interesting things and like can produce stuff and all this stuff, like, do I think it's like, as, do I want to read that instead of what a human makes? No, of course not. But, like, as a piece of technology, sure, as a human being, I'm curious about what this stuff is. Mm-hmm. But then you apply your contextual thinking to it for one second and you realize that every available usage in reality by the people who actually have ownership over these things is going to be to, like, attack the working class. You get sort of frustrated and you become suspicious. Like, I don't actually like being a Luddite. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm not trying to be anti-technology, but when it's just so clear every single time that the big new invention is going to be something that is the same as all the other old old yeah. inventions, which is just to make like make people's jobs more precarious or non-existent. It just I just get frustrated. We, we like, have talked a lot here. On, on this podcast about how publishing loves to say that they don't know how to make bestsellers. They love to say that they don't know what books are going to break out or how to market things. And like really they're just shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over with regards to labor because how you sell books is like you, you create relationships with readers in such a way that they trust an imprint, they trust an editor, they trust an author's name. And the thing is, is you need humans to shape that rather than going off of like generated AI that's just like scrolling the whole internet and then like deciding that like, oh no, like enemies to lovers is absolutely the only thing that will sell right now. And 
Yeah, the idea human is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, and, you the, can't... and and just like the idea. So I I started my my publishing journey working, um, like in multiple internships in traditional publishers and also like with self publishers. And one of the things that I was taught so 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 early, and Eric, you did a ton of this too, was like, and and we continue to do this as agents who try to sell huge amounts of data, an entire book that might be a hundred thousand words to somebody off of a 300 word pitch. It's the same thing as querying authors. The you, it's, it's really hard and it is an entirely human thing to be able to connect with another human about a huge amount of data by presenting to them the impression of what reading the book is like or the feelings mm-hmm. or like the elements that are going to appeal to them. Yeah. That is something that like you need a human to synthesize and and have taste for and be able to go, okay, I know this, like whatever it is, is really popular right now. And this book is going to like grab onto a little bit of that, but it's going to take that trend in, a, in another direction. And being able to look at how they want the book to be placed in the market, how they want the book to be placed in their their release schedule, in their imprints, in terms of their brand. Like all of these elements are is so much more math than just this machine has a bunch of data and it synthesized this book and it spat copy out. Like, do you see how like that is not going to help anybody sell no, books? No, and it's also, I, I think you're totally right. And... It also, like one thing that most people would recognize in publishing is that it's extremely precedent-based, right? Like Mm -hmm. people love to do what worked before. And you and I have railed against that (laughs) impulse a little bit because it's like this is how we get away from trying new things. This is how we avoid giving, you know, underrepresented, you know, authors of, you know, identities that aren't necessarily represented well enough in uh, you know the publishing landscape. This is how they don't they continue to not get chances because there's not a precedent. Like it's a self reinforcing loop, right? Well, mm-hmm. guess what happens when you turn all of that over to an algorithm that's simply based on what's been inputted? Like that problem is going to get way way worse, you know. And it's and it's I don't know. Like I look at this is where I look at other parts of the internet again and see bad things coming for books <laughs> because like. You look at what's happened to um, just other journalism sites or other content sites, like you know. R.I.P. Sports Illustrated. I mean, truly, no, but that you know, I mean, people got their jokes off about Sports Illustrated, but that was a, or that was very sad to me personally because for a very long while, Sports Illustrated was the place to read good sports journalism, and then we find out. You know, there's like AI stuff going on and then we just lay everybody. It's just we're just strip mining all these places and mm-hmm. turning them into like algorithm factories. And it's it's going to end up warping the content. You know what I mean? Like it's one thing that we're feeding the information into uh, like into the machine. But then what ends up happening, you see this on how like you see it especially on like the more visual medium sites Mm -hmm. like YouTube or TikTok. Like people do certain things in their videos to try to quote unquote game the algorithm, right? Like they want, like they think that if they put certain keywords in or if they do certain things in, you know, the video, certain metadata tags, whatever, that the programming beneath, you know, the website they're using will then show it to more people. And it ends up changing, like the effort to market themselves ends up changing the content of what they're doing in a pretty major way, Mm -hmm. you know? And like that is a really dark thought for what could happen to books too. You know, if suddenly books are being produced and written in a way that's not that, I mean, you could make an argument that like in some regard, this is happening already in a little bit more of a manual sense, but if we automate this process such that all of a sudden the books we're getting are basically designed to just like be at the top of the like page, you know what I mean? Like if they're like search engine optimized in a way that is like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like this has nothing yeah. to do with anything anyone likes about books or needs about books. Forget about liking books. Like we're just talking, we're talking about like just the core of 
human knowledge dispersal you know what i mean just warping it around these machines that aren't even good at what they do by the way i mean how many pieces of ai art do i have to look at that just look like shit can i no no i'm let me go for a second like the writing you see these like examples from teachers you know posting oh all my students are turning in ai essays and the, the essays are like job interview or like cover letters and stuff like that you see people trying like the ai stuff and it's like this sounds like shit like, it's not as though these programs are awesome at doing this work yet. I mean, it's obviously like the point, some of it is like, oh, we're going to keep feeding it information until you can't it gets game good. being a good writer. But like, yeah, this stuff sucks. Like, let alone that I want to read things that are from a human being. Like, on principle, that's what I and I think a huge critical mass of people would want. Like, I do not think this can ever end up replacing human writing, which is why all of this is going to fail. But until it does fail, it's going to ruin a lot of people's jobs until then. Like, we know where this is going to end with this shit going obsolete, but the carnage and being that, bankrupt because right. it's going to like right. mess with this copyright is, forever. There, yeah. This is this is carnage. Like what happens along the way is what concerns me until yeah. we get to the very obvious realization. But like this stuff is just not good. Like yeah. I don't think AI art looks good when people like post these pictures. Like oh, I made you know whatever program it is. Like make this fucking picture. Like okay, it looks like shit. It sucks. Like, and I can immediately tell it was made by a computer, and I think you're a bad person for producing it also. And my blood pressure is now through the goddamn roof because I'm looking at another piece of, like, like I just, like, that's the part that I also really, really want to hit on is, like, these programs produce the tackiest, worst shit imaginable. And in order to keep doing that, we're going to, like, lay a bunch of people off and totally warp our publishing industry, which Get your jokes off all you want about how bad publishing sucks. Lord knows I have for the better part of a decade now on this exact show. But, like, we need publishing. Like, we, like, as a, it's an, I think it's an essential industry for getting people art and information and argumentation. All, like, we need books. And we need books that aren't written by machines designed by the least curious people on earth. You know what I mean? And I just get... It just drives me nuts, and especially, I mean, I'm thinking of, like, how do we get, because there's so much else that's going to happen this year, and, like, it feels like the pivot point to me is, like, this labor stuff. I do think that, you know, we're going to see more labor actions. We're going to see all these things, but I just... This is the year where publishers are going to have to identify where they fall in this. This is the year that um, (laughs) all of these open source sort of AI companies are going to be taken to court like this this is a year where like people like these these businesses these corporations have the opportunity to do like the dopest thing like can you imagine if like one out of the big five is like now we're not doing that like can you imagine the goodwill it would engender amongst creators of 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 all types and here's here's what's crazy about that because you're totally right it would make if any one of these places were like, you know what? We love our authors. We love our publishing workers. We're not doing this stuff. And we think that books are not reducible. To the, like if any of these places said that, you read, right. They get a ton of goodwill. But the, what we learn in these situations is they don't answer to us. They don't care what we think. They care what the investors think. They care about the board of executives. Like, And those people need to see the line go up all the time. It's not enough to just sell the same amount of books. It's the Everything has to get bigger and bigger and bigger and more efficient and they see this tool as a way to get there and it's just I mean I realize I'm being a cranky baby on this show right now but like it (laughs) just makes me insane I mean it's just it has nothing to do with publishing good work whatsoever you know And, and if none of this has convinced you think think about the fact that like AI in this way is constantly changing because of all of the data it is being fed and it is very much producing something in a snapshot of time. Now think about the fact that a book takes at least 18 months from the moment it is acquired to the moment it gets published. Yeah. It's useless. Yeah. Like, yeah. like using AI to, you know, do marketing copy and like sales stuff six months before the book is out, guess what? Yeah. Like yeah. that shit's not going to work. Like yeah. it's, it's much better to like pay somebody who is passionate and has taste and knows things $65,000 a year. 
yeah. to do this and have it be targeted and have it be clear. And it's like, how much money do you think that HarperCollins spent developing internally? Too much. Yeah. Too Whereas much. they could like just they like could, pay yeah, yeah. the editorial assistants who have their hands in the books anyway. Yeah. Um, I say $65,000 because that would be great. But like, let's be honest, $35,000, $35,000 a year for a human being to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you want this, you want to just get a sense somewhere in this landscape, AI or not, any across any number of issues, that what any of these places are truly invested in is like the long-term health of our book culture. Yeah. And it just doesn't feel like it's coming from very many places, you know what I mean? And that's true across... I mean, I, you know, I think the, I mean, apart from, I guess I'm speaking specifically of like the the quote unquote, the powers that be, right? Like, because obviously one sign of optimism I have for this year um, and one a sign that I really thought was great about the last couple of years is like, I do feel like there's a certain consciousness being raised and awakened in yeah. the publishing worker class that well there was just something um like people are fighting back on this there's yeah. just something that yeah. was released for visual artists where basically it like poisons the ai if it trolls and steals your art basically <laughs> where, where it like your art can't be fed into it great. like it's blocked great um fantastic like, people are messing with it legally they're like there there is something but it's like this is this is the year like publishing's been fucking around and this is the year i think we find out well so you made you made a really good point before we got on the air today about how this feels like the first year where and maybe the second year but really the first fully formed year where we are we're not post pandemic obviously look at any amount of like public health data and you will know that we are not post pandemic but we are post corporations choosing to think about the pandemic you know what i mean like these places have basically decided it no it's no longer real and that's obviously horrifying for a number of reasons i don't have it to do with this show but um the point is companies have returned to normal right and so here we get a glimpse of what it looks like what for, the normal is going to be what do these big places think normal looks like you know there's no more like there's no special COVID protocols. There's none of this stuff. Like it's these are how businesses are in publishing are choosing to run from after here into the foreseeable future. After like in a post COVID, and again, and again, I really want to emphasize. I understand we're not post COVID. I'm saying from a corporate structural standpoint, they are telling us that they are, and so I'm looking at that trend, not my own. <laughs> personal and frankly scientific empiric beliefs that the <laughs> pandemic is very much not wear a mask um, um but like it's yes we're in a phase now where it's like there's no the, the special circumstances for these workplaces are gone and so we are going to see who who believes what who's into what in this kind of new landscape and i think that's going to be revealing i think as you're saying that there's going to be a lot of finding out like how <laughs> like i do think we're in a place where uh, you know, the labor class for a lot of these houses is much less tolerant of the bullshit mm -hmm. than they used to be. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it's one thing to be intolerant of it. It's another to do something with it and organize and do these things. But that impulse feels really, like, alive and developed right now in a way that I think is exciting. Um, I don't know. It's It feels like the energy and the optimism... It always has to come from the actual people doing the jobs, right? And I do feel that. Like, I, I look around and I see publishing workers just busting their ass and yeah. doing their best. And not only just doing their jobs at their best, but trying to help others do... Like, I believe in that. Like, as much as I want to, you know, complain about the industry in a kind of a big picture way, I think that the people that work in it, by and large, are doing what they can to look out for each other. And maybe they're even along the way learning how to look out for each other because I, I think too that, um, you know, we've sort of needed a crash course in class consciousness mm -hmm. and that feels very much underway and people are learning what to, you know, there's something happening in the attitudes and mindsets of the people who work the non-executive jobs at publishing houses that I think is I think is really cool. I mean, I you know, our job, right, is to talk to 
is to talk to editors, is to talk to people. And especially like you and I love, um, you know, in much happier shows than this one, we've talked about how fun it is to talk to the new assistant editors or the associate editors because they're the ones who are hungry and they want to hear your ideas and they want to buy books and do all these things. And they make it makes them more fun to pitch to, right? But a byproduct of that is you get to hear what typically younger people in the industry are thinking. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, I've had a lot of fun conversations with a whole lot of people that are newer and they're earlier in their careers. And it's it's really cool. Yeah. Like I do think that we have the ingredients for a for an industry that could change somehow, you know, and that fills me with a little bit of optimism. With regards to the fucking around and find out and talking to the younger people, um, I I also think that this year, you know, it's an election year. Oh um, my god! Don't get me started, or do oh, get me no. started. In a <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not. That, I'm not yeah. here to talk about the election by itself. But right. um, not me either. I, I think like this is this is also a moment where. Um, the the politics of publishers are coming under fire and i think you know in a way that i haven't seen before and that makes me um optimistic (laughs) i question mark um you know we we are several years in to the diversity baseline survey that lee and loan does um, we are several years out from the initial, like we need diverse books initiatives. And we're seeing how we're seeing the results of how publishers are really like holding up their DEI initiatives and in retaining talent and publishing books by authors of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we are seeing people fall on their faces and we are seeing people um, succeed yeah. in certain ways. And I think all of that, like it's the point is, is it's there to be seen and yes. judged. Yes. And I think yes. like one of the things that I'm also seeing for the very first time, and I've been in this industry um, for over 10 years now, the very, this is the very first time that I am seeing, um, the employees publicly, I think they've always been doing this, but like very, very publicly demand action from their employers in a way that I think is resulting in very positive things. And like one of the very, like the biggest things to point to right now is um, the genocide that is happening in Palestine right Mm -hmm. now. And, you know, in the United States, like um, there's, there's a lot of, well, they like to tell you it's complex. It's not actually very complex, but there is. Go off, there, <laughs> we we are an anti-Zionist Jewish-owned agency. Okay, um, there are like the the powers that be in like politically and financially in this country um, like to tell you that this this conflict um, is is really complicated, and I think like it is heartening that there are um employers or employees demanding from these publishers to like stand on the right side of history and not just like you know like go with whatever like the general movement is saying because again like publishing exists and thinks of themselves as thought leaders and um I think like we are seeing we are in a moment in time that is feeling especially stark with regards to the direness of like the politics and and what is happening in the world right now. I agree. And it's it's not being it's not being treated like, oh, no, no, this is work. We just make books. And then the world is happening. It is it is feeling very synthesized in a way that I hope will result in good things. The way I've come to think about that specific dynamic is because it can be it can be a little bit of a trap to try to do the left right thing yeah. with regard to how publishing functions because obviously there are a lot of conservative books there are a lot of liberal books like that's just not the dichotomy that necessarily works like for trying to diagnose the industry as a whole but I do think and this is especially related to um, you know the the genocide in Palestine like. Publishing most frequently, I think, especially at the corporate level, functions as an extension of elite opinion. Mm. And before this specific issue, or in many issues before this, 
it's been very easy for uh, for publishing to cosplay as progressive because the foil to it was Trump, right? Like we have this conservative president that we all you know dislike, and he looks a certain way, and he talks like a boorish like idiot, and. We all, it's very easy for publishing to be like, no, no, that's not right. We're here for books and ideas. Same happened with George W. Bush. Right. Yeah. And it's trickier, or what we're seeing now that, like, frankly, a whole lot of liberals are in favor of a whole lot of bloodshed right now is that that line isn't, like, it's not about being anti conservative. It's about just like, like, what do elites think? You're going to find out if you look at anyone's, yeah. like, book publishing. Turns out the elites like a military-industrial complex. That's what I mean. Yeah. No, I just mean, like, yeah. it's the way to interpret how publishing functions is more a function of, like, how does our ruling class think, you know, on either side of the political line. And it's, you know, I do think about that, like, you talk about the election, obviously— I would love to do literally anything but talk about the election, <laughs> but it does. It's, Don't we're they we're not going to talk about the election until we absolutely have no, to. No, no. But guys. I will say though that it is already affecting my job. Okay, because, say more about that. Well, because I work on political books, I work on books that write about things that come up in these cycles or are going to try to grab readers who are especially engaged with like. The day-to-day of an election, mm-hmm. like, you know, the campaigns leading up. And so, like, so many of my, like, I have a bunch of books that are, you know, scheduled to publish uh, late this year, early next year, you know, in these ranges. And, like, there's, I have debates across a number of different projects right now. Like, okay, what's the right time to s- slot this? When are people going to be interested in this topic? If we Are we too early? Are we too late? Is anyone going to care about anything besides watching CNN, you know, during these months? (laughs) Like, how do we actually reach the readers who we know under some circumstances would be interested in this? And it's... How is... God, it's it's just going to be such a mess. So, so I I understand the the complexities of the 2024 presidential election and why people are scared or whatever. But... How is it different? How is it feeling different this year? Like, how is this year feeling bigger, more monumental than like how you did that math four years ago? Because working on political books, you always do that math about, you know, is it election year? When is the election coming? How is it different right now? Well, I mean, I I think I hate to be simplistic, but it's the same thing. It's I mean, I'm hesitating because my answer is extremely simple. Um, but there's some thought behind it. So let me, I'll just say it's Trump. Mm. And the reason, the reason I say that is because at least to, again, the powers that be to, especially to the high ups in publishing, I think Trump represents this sort of all consuming attention magnet. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he is like, See, you know, these news networks love him, right? Like they can claim they're running coverage against him, but CNN, you know, MSNBC, these ostensibly liberal networks, you know, and then by extension also like these ostensibly, you know, centrist or liberal publishing houses, you know, they quote unquote hate Trump, but they love Trump because he's an engagement machine. You know what I mean? Like people tune in to be horrified. Like he's this, you know, and so the reason I think, like what happened in 2016 with this is like people, there was this assumption throughout the year from these people that that he was going to lose, right? Like he was, like I think most people throughout most of that race in 2016 believed he was not going to win. And then he did. And then you and I started a podcast. Uh, <laughs> but but um, I mean, that's an oversimplified, <laughs> like, okay. But, but yes. So, um, and then, but... This year, it feels like what we're getting, because they have seen him win mm-hmm. as a non-incumbent. Like, I feel like the 2020 election was a little different because there was, like, COVID and there was, you know, all this other stuff going on. And he was incumbent as opposed to being the challenger. And this year, it's like people are already preemptively having all the feelings they had at the end of the 2016 cycle 
like they're doing that now already. Like I just feel like it's reigniting a whole bunch like of eight months in advance. No, yeah. truly. And and I don't blame I mean, obviously I already feel a ton of dread and all this sort of stuff, right? But like that is, I think, informing a lot of people's view of like who's gonna be pay attention paying attention where in terms of readership and publication mm. and stuff. And so it's Yeah, it really is the year of fuck around and find no, out. No, it is. I, I really do. I mean, I think yeah. that I think that this next uh I think it's gonna be a very I'm trying to figure out how to put this in a way that relates to our show. I think it's going to be kind of a bleak news year. Not in terms of like actual like when I say news, I mean literally like news coverage and like media work. Like I think that they are there's going to be so much preemptive like Trump stuff Mm -hmm. that is going to really warp a lot of what happens in terms of attention and coverage, you know, throughout this year. And I know it's affecting my job already. And uh, it's hard to because on the one hand, you want to be like, no, 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 our book will cut through the noise and do all this stuff. And I don't want that to be the case. And I want people to focus on real things. But then you also. But if AI is trolling the internet to find what <laughs> well, people are is, talking so this about. Is the thing. This is, <laughs> that actually is a really good loop back where it's like the reinforcing, like, you could see how all this stuff would just re, like, you get sort of a death spiral chamber, in terms of yeah. what. <laughs> in terms of I what, like yours better. I like the and, death spiral better. And it's just, it's hard, man. And I, I don't know. The hope is always with, again, the fact that I think so many uh, publishing workers are doing such good jobs and trying to look out for each other. And that's where the good things will come from. And I do think there will be good things. I think this is going to be sort of a rupture-filled year. Yeah. But This is the year where things are going to break. But we also, we need some things to break. You know what I mean? And we we need some stuff to get built, you know gotta build a new world in the ashes of the old right like i mean yeah. we this is what we're talking about like i would love sometimes some new stuff has to happen yeah like, like you know eventually we're gonna get to a point where some sort of labor like publishing labor bubble is going to burst and it's gonna be really hard for a really long time yeah but then then we're gonna see like just people with conviction and taste and like expertise and they're going to actually be able to like do their jobs mm-hmm. um which is exciting and it and is. like no. i am i am i am like looking towards this year knowing that there are a lot of elements that are going to make my job harder fighting for appropriate ai clauses is going to make my job harder like um you know trying to slot books into a louder market is going to make my job harder yeah. but like ultimately I think that that difficulty is pointing us towards a really exciting moment of change. And I think it's happening soon. Like I know, I know if you go back, I 100% agree. If you go back and listen to like old episodes, you know, we, we, various elements that we've talked about on the show have been pointing in that direction. And it, for the very first time, I feel like it's happening. It's time. It's time. The appointed time is arriving. <laughs> and that is scary and rupturous and tough in a lot of ways. And But we, it's also we, exciting. We all just show up and look out for each other, you know? It's bleak, and but like fun. Fun bleak. Fun bleak. Dread, I feel like there's a word in German dread for that. Dread fashion. We, yeah. We've been there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, anyway. Let's end it there. Uh, Dread, but make it fashion. Um, (laughs) Thank you all so much for joining us on this episode of Print Run. Uh, We'll see you back here very soon. Bye. Bye.